May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So today we are, we're kind of straddling two themes really. So uh, we're in white and we're in white because in the lectionary today is the presentation of Jesus in the temple which um, Barbara read as one of the readings. Uh, but we still have our purple thing up because today is also the fourth Sunday in Epiphany. And um, February the 2nd is uh, the presentation of our Lord in the temple. Um, and for some reason the lectionary writers have gone back to this Sunday rather than the nearest Sunday. And I don't really understand that, but there's probably a very good reason why they've done that. I just don't know why they have. Uh, but also this Sunday, the Gospel reading is quite an important one because it it's a kind of, we've had the introduction and this is the first time Jesus does something. And his teaching is through actions in Mark's Gospel. Well, all the Gospels really, but particularly in Mark's Gospel. So you have to pay attention to that because it sets the theme for the rest of the Gospel. And it would kind of set us a little adrift if we didn't pay attention to that. So we've kind of got a nod to that it is... Uh, candle Mass, so presentation of the Lord is when traditionally in England you would have blessed all the candles uh, that were going to be used during the year and candles were important, um, partly because they didn't have lights, so that's how you got to see what was going on and partly because they were um, a way of reminding you that Christ was present. So the Irish, for example, would give you the stub of the candle used in church when you were dying so it would light your way uh, to the next life. Um, so they're supposed to have healing properties. So Candlemas uh, was for a very long time a very important festival. Uh, we're a bit more low church and a bit more laid back, um, kind of middle of the road, laid back New Zealanders really, so we've kind of dropped most of those kind of things um, in many ways in the Anglican church. It's a, bit of a, it's a bit of a shock to go overseas and encounter Anglicanism in most of the other provinces really. They're not quite as laid back as we are. <laughs> So today instead I want to offer a reflection on Mark and that first reading. And there'll be some questions at the end. So pay attention. We'll see if you pass. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It begins with Isaiah and John the baptizer proclaiming a baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It begins with John the baptizer baptizing Jesus and the Spirit immediately driving Jesus into the wilderness to face his demons, to face the Satan and all the temptations to see the world as all others see it, to assume that what is hoped for is to be hoped for, to weaken, to accept the shouts calling for a Messiah the one who would end exile, the one announcing forgiveness of sins of the people of Israel, sins that led to exile, sins that meant the exile continued even as they returned to their land, the one who declares the return of the Shekinah, the glory of God to the midst of the people, to the heart of the temple, God returning, the pagan idolaters expelled and even destroyed, the temple rebuilt, and the line of David, the true king, restored. 
the golden age returned. John promised this return in his baptism, this eternal repentance and the forgiveness of sins. There was the temptation to be this Messiah. And yet, this was not the call of Jesus. He came with another good news. For 40 days, he became this good news, the Shekinah. <coughs> the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. It begins with the calling of the first four disciples. It begins with Jesus entering into a synagogue in Capernaum, astounding all and sundry with his teaching, not a teaching based on any rabbinic school full of do's and don'ts, but a fresh understanding, a new yoke that seemed so life-giving. Who is this teacher? From where does this teaching come from? A pause, filled with uncertainty and question, broken by the cry of one out of place, an unclean spirit squawks from a man caged. What business do you have here with us, Jesus, Nazarene? I know what you're up to. You've come to destroy us. The good news begins with an unclean spirit proclaiming what all others could not see. You're the Holy One of God. A centurion is the next to utter such words at his death on a cross. It begins with an action. Be silent and leave that man. Free him from your cage. And the unclean spirit screams and then is quiet and does free the man. It begins this good news with authority and liberation. Jesus lives out what he says. He uses his actions to teach. He walks the talk. First and foremost, this is good news indeed, unlike those other teachers in their fine robes and fine words and not a lot else. This Jesus acts to free people from cages put in place by unclean spirits, evil powers and assumptions about how the world should be. Those who came that Shabbat to synagogue came to hear Torah, to have their world affirmed, their hopes and Messiah supported. They expected life to carry on as it had, for this is how it was to be. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begins with all assumptions wiped clean. It begins with new possibilities. It begins with uncertainty and questions. 
So we who have come today to church on our Sabbath. What did we come for? What do we hope for as we gather each Sunday? What might, what might we, the ongoing good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, be invited to let go of as we hear the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Are we left with uncertainty and questions? If so, what are they? What do we look for this new year? So there's some questions, and you have a choice now, you can sit in silence and think about them, or you can turn to your neighbour and talk about them. And that was quite a short reflection, it's only about six or seven minutes, so we have a, we have a few minutes up our sleeves before our lunch is ready. So I invite you to, either in silence or talking to your neighbours, reflect on those questions. Why do we come? What have we come to church for today? What do we hope for as we gather each Sunday? And then thinking about today's reading, what might we be invited to let go of? What uncertainty and questions are we left with? And then, last of all, as we look to a new year, what do we look look forward to? Look for this new year. What do we look look for this new year? Well, there you go, there's one thing. So, we'll do the calling out bit soon, but now just talk to your neighbours. Alright? So turn around, talk to your neighbours. There's a whole lot of questions, you don't have to do them all. Pick the ones that excite you and stick with those ones. Where you go. Or sit quietly, up to you. So now we're up to the shouty out a bit. Uh, so the first two questions are about why we come to church. What do we hope for as we come together on a Sunday morning? So what we are any reflections on that? To worship. Who said that? Over there. So what does that mean? We come together as a family, as a church family, as a worship our one true God. Right. So. It's quite important things in there about coming together as one family and as a family, as a church family. So, you know, how are we going to be a church family? Yes? Yep, we do that. And we think that's pretty important, but actually in some of the Anglican liturgies around the world, that's not there. So there is no confession and um, absolution at the beginning of the service. So the Episcopal Church in the United States, it's not there at all. Kind of gets kind of attached Sometimes as part of the Great Thanksgiving, as Cranmer's prayer book did it, but sometimes it's just not there at all. Ken? Where two or three are gathered together in your name, there I am in the midst. Right, so we come together so that Jesus is in the midst of us. Particularly today for the picnic. For the picnic? 
And that's fair enough. Yep. All right, so there's a particular reason coming together to celebrate a wedding anniversary. So by gathering together, we kind of support each other and and encourage each other. So, hmm? and inspire. Yeah. Sometimes we come with questions, and sometimes we want reassurance. Yep. So coming with questions and wanting reassurance, and sometimes we get reassurance, and sometimes we just get more questions. More questions. <laughs> I had, a, I had uh, my, the, one of my lecturers at theological college, the one I remember the most, um, used to say, theology is about asking the right question, and when you come up with an answer, if it doesn't lead to the, the next question, it's the wrong answer. Um, so life is about questions, and faith is about questions. I think sometimes we're a bit scared of questions, but they are the way into the heart of God, so... It sets me up for the whole week. It gives me the calmness and the peace and it just does last for the whole week. Refreshing. Refreshing. Yep. To feed the spirit. To feed the spirit. So what does that mean? Um, just to lift me up and to give me some, basically to build up the spirit and wonder in myself Renewal of the Spirit. So there's lots of reasons for coming to church, aren't there? And it's pretty hard to do all of those, but we, we try. Uh, and coming together as a family, is, is, that's, a, that's a kind of important shift, really. And when I grew up, we used to come to church as individuals, and we made our own communion, our private communion, and we went home. And you didn't have morning teas afterwards. I remember when morning tea was introduced at my mother's church about 20 years ago, maybe a bit less, she was outraged. I do not go to church to talk to people. And some of you probably still think that, and I make you do it in the... Well, after a while, she was on the morning tea roster, and actually she quite enjoyed it, but it was probably the most important part of the morning for her. But, you know, that was a big shift, and one of those shifts was our new prayer book, which stopped using I and started using we. It's a very small word, but it radically changed how we see church. As a group of, from a group of people who just clump together on a Sunday to do our private thing, to a group of people who come together to support and encourage, who in the midst we find Jesus. Uh, in our gathering, our wider is fed, and we're allowed to grow, we're allowed to bring our questions and sometimes they're answered and sometimes, sometimes they lead to new questions which are equally disturbing and troubling. So the next question is, what might we be invited to let go of? I won't get you to answer those, but I have one. And uh, in Jesus' time, people looked back to David's time. That was the golden age. And the Messiah was all about the restoration of that age. And we have a golden age, and it's the 1960s and 70s. 
Our churches were full. We had Evensong, uh, the church where I went to. There was a massive Sunday school. There was a huge youth ministry. There were 150 that used to go every year on the youth ministry camp. Um, and that's, that wasn't everyone, but that was the ones who used to go around that. And it was really important. And lots of people had a very good time and a formative time. Although lots of them didn't carry on after they left, uh, left youth group. The link between youth group and church was pretty tenuous. And when they left youth group, they'd done church. Except for maybe weddings and baptisms and funerals. But we keep looking back to that time. And it's amazing how often it sneaks into parish planning days and things. You know, wouldn't it be good if we had a youth group again? And wouldn't it be good if we had a large youth group again? And how do we do that? And those days are gone. And one of the one of the ways, one of the things we have to let go of is how it used to be in the 1960s and 70s, no matter how good that was, because we are no longer there. And we have to find out what it means to be church today, just as Jesus had to find out what it really meant to be the Messiah. It wasn't what people expected. It wasn't what he grew up thinking it would be. He had to learn to see the world in a new way. That's what his 40 days in the desert were about. Learning to see the world in a new way, with new expectations. Same with us. So, the last question. What do we look for this new year? Anyone get down to there? Answers. Right? See how we go. Peace? Peace. Healing. Healing. Healing of people, healing, healing of communities. Anything else? Ken? Well, we should be looking for the, the second coming of Christ. That's the last verse of the book of Revelation. Indeed. Although then we could get into a great conversation about what that looks like and what it means. But... Yeah. Yep. Peace, love, and charity, but especially for homelessness. Yep. Give peace a chance. So peace. Oh, well, that's some good things for Vesti to think about. So at our next planning day, we can think about how we might bring about the healing of our community and peace in the world. Two small jobs that I'm sure we can play out. Part of. Uh, well, today is about having conversations. This year in the diocese, last year we had... Um, the theme was discipleship. And, and one of the things about Mark is that the, the gospel is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Like the whole gospel is the beginning. It's just the beginning. And Mark's gospel, a lot of scholars now think, finishes at verse 8 of chapter 16. If you know where that is, that's where the women go off afraid to tell anyone what they've just experienced. And all the resurrection appearances aren't, apart from to them, haven't been reported. Now, why would he stop there? Well, because he wanted people to tell their own stories. He didn't want people to hear about what other people had experienced. He wanted them to tell their own stories. 
So our big part of this year is about discipleship, and one of the ways we do discipleship is by telling stories to each other, our own stories, not just listening to me and all my amazing wisdom, but, uh, but your wisdom, which is just as important, if not more important. Because when we tell our own stories and ask our questions uh, and look for answers from each other, then we do discipleship. So we'll be doing more of this because it is the theme of Mark and it is what the diocese invited us to do this year. Although, when we were talking about how we might do that at Easter, and I said, well, maybe we, the preacher shouldn't preach, we just should get people to tell their stories. All the clergy there were outraged at such an idea that we wouldn't preach on Easter Sunday. And I said to one of them, I thought the theme was discipleship. Isn't, isn't discipleship about getting people to tell their stories? And he went, oh, I've never thought about that. So here we are in a year of discipleship and the year of Mark. So let's carry on and pray, shall we?